Hey guys, it's me Dami, and you are listening to Moisturize Your Elbows. This podcast is your one-stop shop for all my unsolicited advice and opinions. So sit back, relax, moisturize your elbows, and let's get into it. So I was having a catch-up with a friend recently, and I was telling them about my week. And after giving a bit of a brief recap of my week and what I'd been up to, I was met with a bit of a shocked expression. And they told me, you know, that's not normal, right? And this is the reaction I often get from many friends and family members when they get an insight into my lifestyle working in the world of corporate law, a world that's full of early mornings and late nights and sometimes includes working on the weekends. But I'm also in a lot of spaces where the people around me are working similarly long hours. And for me, these long hours have become normalized. In my world, terms such as billable hours become quickly a core part of your vocabulary. That is how much of your day is actually spent doing work for the client that can actually be billed for. There's a focus on how effectively you're being utilized and maximizing your capacity. And I'm at a point that I've stopped noticing the extent of which my work life has been encroached upon by all aspects of my personal life until there's someone from the outside looking in and they observe it. And I'm sure many people listening to this podcast can relate to this feeling on some level, especially in these COVID times where people are working from home and um, this work-life balance becomes more of a work-life blur. So this week I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Mary, and we will be exploring this topic a bit further. Thank you so much for joining me, Mary. Thank you very much for having me, Dami. Um, so my name is Mary Hughes. I am a trainee sister like Dami, um, and we work at the same firm, which is how we originally met. I'm soon to qualify into the corporate team um, at work, so very much looking forward to that. But it definitely resonates with me, the use of vocabulary that people don't normally use in everyday life, and especially the long working hours becoming normalised. Sometimes I'll ring my family up at 6pm and say, hi, I've finished work early. And they'll be like, what, Mary? It's 6pm. Most people finish at half five. This is a good day for me. I'm going to take it. Like you mentioned, Mary, both of us are trainee solicitors and you're about to become a full-time solicitor. You can remove that trainee part from the start of your name. That must be so exciting. Yes, it is very exciting. Um, it's definitely been um, a long time coming. You know, you work so hard, you have this goal in mind and I'm now three weeks away. So I cannot wait. So we're both no strangers to managing this work-life balance. And before we go and think about life beyond billable hours, it's really interesting and I think would be really insightful to really think about life before billable hours. How did we even get to this place in the first place? What made you decide to enter the legal profession? So for me, I I think it stemmed um, actually when I was in my early teens and I was thinking about what kind of job I wanted to go into what career I was going to have and I was quite ambitious as as a teenager and I was like yeah I'll be I'll be a lawyer I'll be a top lawyer um this is what I want to do and didn't really know very much about it um about the legal profession or about what lawyers do day to day but I was lucky enough to have 
some work experience in Manchester, near to where I'm originally from. And um, that really resonated with me that it was work that I would like to do. I loved history. I loved English literature at school and, you know, the sort of skill sets and the critical analysis that comes with that um, definitely feeds into into your life as a lawyer. And I'm also quite a people person. So I wanted to work with people, I work with clients. Um, So I had that dream of being a lawyer quite early on. And then my path sort of just followed from there. I chose A-levels that would fit with a law degree um, and then started applying with training contracts at university, although I didn't get my training contract until my third year. So I initially applied in my second year and didn't get anywhere. But I never had a doubt that I wasn't going to be a solicitor. I, I had quite a lot of faith in myself, which was perhaps naive at the time, but equally um, I was certain that I was going to be a solicitor. So um, that's how I ended up to where I am today. That's really interesting because that kind of reflects my own experience in so far as I always wanted to be a lawyer. And it's kind of a weird thing to say because most people when they're younger, they want to be, I don't know, they want to be pop stars, they want to be artists, they want to be, I don't know what people dream about when they were younger, but I was like, I want to be a lawyer. And the initial interaction I ever had with the world of law was when a lady called also called Mary, Mary Irving, came into my school. And it was one of those presentations where they come with people from various professions and they tell you about what they do. And this was the first time I ever spoken to a lawyer before. And Mary was standing there and she was saying everything she did on a day-to-day basis. And I was sat there, I think I was in year eight or something or year nine I was 14 and I was like I want to do this and after her presentation I chased after her I was like please I want to be a lawyer tell me everything how do I become a lawyer retrospectively it was so cringy and really embarrassing but clearly she wasn't put off and she gave me her business card and I went in and I shadowed her for two weeks and I was like I really want to be a lawyer To be fair, at that stage in my life, I wanted to be a criminal lawyer. I wanted to be a barrister. And I think a lot of people start off their legal careers wanting to be barristers and you want to be what you see in the movies. And I think what we do on a day-to-day basis is very different to what you see on a show like Suits or any of the other legal shows. How do you find your reality as a trainee solicitor and a soon-to-be lawyer is like? What do you think the culture of the legal sector is like? In terms of sort of like the wider, if we zoom out and take a a look at the legal sector generally, it's actually not what I anticipated it to be, but in a positive way. So I thought that everybody was going to be Oxbridge educated, speak with, you know, the Queen's English. I thought that people, it was going to be largely male, pale and stale. Um, But actually... I found it quite to be quite the opposite and there's lots of diversity there's, there's definitely room for improvement with diversity don't get me wrong but in terms of the types of people there, everybody's very open everybody's very friendly of course there's Oxbridge educated people there but there's also people from other universities as well and, and, and globally um, which I found to be really refreshing and and where we currently work I think there's, there's a lot of diversity in that and, and a lot of differences like diversity beyond just the purely sort of ethnicity gender but diversity in hobbies and opinions and thoughts which is really exciting 
Yes, I really appreciate the diversity of thought you're getting a lot of law firms these days. And that goes beyond the the general protective characteristic that you look to be furthering in the workplace. So I always say that the kind of people I meet are just reflective of society in, at large. So there's so many different types of people. But one thing I've also been noticing is with this focus on diversity, there's also a focus on well-being and mental health. And this is not just in the legal profession, but this is in society generally. So in lots of other professions, you see this real honing in on the importance of mental health. And it's just something that you've experienced too. Yes, yeah, definitely. I think the pandemic has magnified that definitely, the focus on mental health and well-being, which is only a good thing. And I think the progress that's been made across the legal profession and wider society has come on leaps and bounds, ironically, because of the pandemic. I think it's also important to have those conversations about mental health and well-being. And I think that's what's perhaps been missing in the past is people haven't spoken about it openly. So then you can't address issues if you don't know what the issues are. And you can't, likewise, you can't rectify the issues if you don't know what the issues are and talk about ways and means of progression and how to move forwards. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think one of the key practical differences that the pandemic has really drawn out is just the ability to work from home. Because as a trainee solicitor, I wasn't able to work from home at all. I couldn't, even if I wanted to work from home, I couldn't do that. And I'm not saying I'd want to continue on indefinitely working from home because there's so many benefits to being in the office. But just the ability to be at home, I can imagine long term really supports other aspects of your life. So people in different situations, if you have a family, if you just want to be able to go to something in the evening, cutting out that commute time, having the ability to work from home and people appreciating that when you're working from home, you actually are working from home. We now know it's doable because clearly if it wasn't doable, organisations and firms wouldn't be profitable anymore, but people clearly are doing work. So I think the ability to work from home has been really beneficial for my own mental health because there's some days where I'm happy to do the work and I am doing the work, but it's really beneficial for me to just not be in that office environment, to be by myself. And I think the normalization of different working styles going forward is going to be really important. So I'm not sure if the legal profession will be able to adopt this, but I know a lot of other professions have flexi hours. So for example, if you start at 7am that can reduce the, the amount of time you work and because we work way beyond core hours anyway I'm not sure if that would be applicable but I think we're on the right track with that um, approach to more flexible working patterns which I think is really beneficial just general well-being. Yes yeah there's definitely pros and cons to working from home and I think one of the major cons is perhaps collaboration and you know being in that team environment it's a bit harder to recreate when you're working remotely and having that social aspects but I think a flexible future will definitely help well-being and mental health overall and as you said in terms of working styles as well I, I remember um at the start of my training contract there was one associate who said that whenever she's got some really tricky drafting to do a really complex document she'll she'll work from home because she can just shut herself in her office she gets less distracted and she can just really focus and I think having that ability to choose will benefit productivity and well-being I think it's it's a two-edged 
a two-edged benefit and as you say cutting out the commute is always great you could perhaps go on a walk in that half an hour when you would otherwise have been on on the train just sat down I think in terms of health it's going to going to be more beneficial if you can work from home you can probably cook a healthier meal than you can pick up then instead of picking up a sandwich from Sainsbury's for example or any other supermarket of your choice so I think it definitely the flexible aspect will definitely if it's here to stay have prolonged benefits but what have you found as like a practical thing that you do over the past year and beyond that actually help you maintain that good health and well-being because I find that I I'm so focused on improving my mental health but on a day-to-day basis how does that look like? I think that's a question that's the ultimate question for everybody and I think what improves your mental health is very much personal and and, and on you only you know what what will help you and help you focus or help you de-stress one thing that I quite like to do is go on a walk if I'm having a stressful day but I've got I can you know carve out 20 minutes just go on a walk around the block put in my favorite music and just walk it really helps me and actually I sometimes find that if I am stressed I'm not very productive because it's almost like a vicious cycle I get stressed about being stressed and the work doesn't get done as quickly or as efficiently because I'm stressed and then I'm more stressed because the work's not being done efficiently and I think it can be quite easy to get into this cycle whereas and and if you were in the office for example you could go and get a coffee you could have a little chat to somebody but if you're working from home it's a much more solitary environment so one thing that I definitely like to do is get out for a walk just go to the local coffee shop and come back or if I've not got time to go on a walk I'll do something silly like do the washing up or you know or do other kind of housework I'll hoover for 15 minutes and it just focuses my it takes my mind off the stress off the work and then allows me to regroup and refocus much more efficiently I'm looking back to coming to do my hoovering in my apartment to improve your mental health I'll definitely not say no to that but I know a thing I used to do when I was in the office was that whenever I was feeling particularly stressed or anxious or had a particularly difficult piece of work to do, I'll take my phone, I'll take my earphones, I'd go into the bathroom, I'd lock myself and have like a mini dance party with myself. And I know it sounds crazy, but I found that just moving my body and doing something that was a bit weird, a bit wacky, really just helped me get out of my funk. And then I'd get back to my desk, I'd feel energised, I could just approach the work again. Yeah, I definitely think if you move away from it for a few moments and then come back to it, that is so much more beneficial than just ploughing on through if you're hitting a brick wall. I still feel the idea of a work-life balance is still this elusive thing, this thing that I'm constantly reaching for, that it's still out of my reach. And I don't necessarily feel like I have a work-life balance or at least I'm not very good at maintaining said work-life balance but when I was thinking about what work-life balance is I found that it was really important to define it to see what do I actually mean by work-life balance do I mean 50-50 do I mean an equal amounts of work and equal amounts of life if I'm defining work-life balance like that then I definitely don't have work-life balance because my life isn't 50-50 I think a way that I started thinking about it is work-life balance means 
the amount of importance you put on each aspect. So how important is the work aspect? And is that balanced with how important you find the life aspect of it? And then when I started thinking about it like this, I realized that perhaps I do have a better work-life balance than I had actually thought I had because I still very much feel like the life aspects of my life are, are really important and I definitely do put things in place to um, try to protect that life aspect so I think that's how I define it I define work-life balance as the amount of importance you put on each aspect yeah I think the term in itself work-life balance in my opinion, a stupid term. People shouldn't use that because the work is your life and your and vice versa. I think they're very connected. You know, if when I think about my personal identity, being a lawyer is like high on or Cheney's sister as I am currently, it's quite high on my list. Um and I enjoy my work. I enjoy it very much. So it is a big part of my life and so the work-life balance is not, there's not, I don't see that there's a line in the sand between the two. But I do think that what you've said about importance is is definitely something that, that I agree with. And it's knowing where you sometimes have to make those trade-offs between work and sort of your wider life, like whether it's hobbies and and seeing friends and catching up with family it's the concept of importance as to knowing what is more important sometimes as you say there's late nights there's lots of late nights there's there's lots of early mornings but if you've got say a friend's birthday party that you do not want to miss but there's a task at work that you could probably do tomorrow and if if your team are okay for you to do it the next day and that's where that importance aspect comes in for me. Yeah, for me in practical terms, it's about having my hard no's. And that's how I think about them in my head. What is my hard no? So when I first started my training contract and I started being a training solicitor, I don't think I had very many hard no's because I never even thought about it. I just thought, I've worked so hard to get here. I really want to prove myself. I want to prove that I deserve to be here. Um, So that was my focus. So I would never say no to anything. So if there was like a late night that wasn't necessarily necessary, but it was just someone had thought to themselves, oh, perhaps can you look at this? And they haven't necessarily said, can you look at this tonight? Um, They just said, can you look at this? Rather than asking, oh, when do you need this by and negotiate deadline? Everything was urgent for me. Everything had to be done right then, right there. And because of that mindset, I really didn't have anything I would say no to. Nothing was in my personal life was important enough that I would say no to. So I would cancel plans straight away at the slightest hint that I would have to work. I would cancel plans straight away. So I think for me, having those hard no's and what are these protected things? What are these things that are so important that I have to go to? You gave the example of a friend's birthday. So I think I had a very good example of a hard no in my first seat after I realized that my approach just wasn't sustainable and they want us to be really good at our jobs. And if you're burning yourself out you will not be able to sustain it and if you want to have a long and healthy career 
you do have to have some hard notes. So I had a good example of that where I had a dinner and it was a dinner with a group of friends that I hadn't seen in a long time, friends from different countries that had come to London for this one evening. Literally, if the same evening had happened three months prior to that occasion, I would have just cancelled it straight away. Bearing in mind these are friends from different countries, they were only going to be in London for one night only. I would have given that up because I didn't have any hard no's. But I was able to have a conversation. I was able to negotiate deadlines and I was able to work it around because I had drawn that line in the sand for myself that this was something that I was not prepared to give up. A top tip that I would have for other people is to figure out your why and then figure out what you're not prepared to give up then you're able to then maintain this elusive work-life balance. And like you, I don't really like the term myself, but um, you're able to feel like you're having a happy life. You don't feel resentful about your job because you know what you're not prepared to give up. And when you do have to give those things up on occasions, you know that you've had an active thought. I'm giving this up for X, Y, Z reason, not just, oh, anything that I ever want to do, I have to give up because of my job. Yeah, I I definitely think that's good advice. And I think that's something that you do learn over time. I was very similar to you. I would say yes to everything. I do still say yes to everything, to be honest, but in a measured way, I suppose. Oh, like, yes, but communicate better. So I, if I had got an email at, say, 7pm, I would have probably done the task straight away. But now I'd say, yes, I'll ha- I'll happily do it when do you need this by so then it's being able to plan my time more efficiently and they might reply back and say it has to be done tonight and I'll say that's absolutely fine but equally they might say oh by the end of the week and in that case I wouldn't have had to stay stay up for you know until 11 p.m doing a task that I could have done over the next three days I do think it comes with experience and one thing that I experienced and and probably still do a little bit is work guilt and I have I know I must move away from that mindset but if I've got a task on on my on my to-do list but it's not due yet and I log off I feel guilty for that a little bit sometimes and I know that that's not a healthy talking about mental health I know that's not a healthy way to be so in the past few months and especially like whilst working from home when it's so much easier you know just to have that excuse of oh there's not much going on I'll stay logged in I'll do everything I'll do all the tasks I know that I need to work moving away from that like there will be some times when as I said you know I have to work late and do long hours and I'm very happy to do that as I've said I, I really enjoy my job um but equally as you said you need to have those down times because otherwise you do burn out and I think across every profession you know no matter what you do or even if you're a student you need to have that downtime and you need to have that time where you just recollect yourself and you do something that you enjoy and sort of reset yourself for the next task or the next day or the next week I work in the same places I do my life thing so I could just work indefinitely for some days just that closing my laptop down, putting my work phone away and going to do something else is, I have such a mental barrier to it. So I'm like, I could just keep going, but there's always going to be work and there will always be something to do. There'll always be a new task to do. So if you don't draw the line somewhere, 
you will just keep working and an important thing for me in being able to draw that line better is realizing that in most situations people won't draw the line for you people won't enforce your own boundaries and you can't expect them to I would always imagine that people would see how hard I was working and then they would say something if they wanted me to stop. And sometimes that does happen. People do see the amount of hours I'm billing and they're like, okay, when did you sleep? And I'm like, I didn't. Um, (laughs) But in most situations, people won't enforce those boundaries for you. And you will just keep working unless you prioritize the downtime yourself. In learning how to prioritize the downtime, I think what was important for me was becoming more confident. So I was having to learn how to back myself in that I don't necessarily have to prove myself on a day-to-day basis. My work speaks for itself. I will work hard. People know I'm a hard worker. And when I do the work, it is good. And I think I was coming in with this imposter syndrome of that I have to prove myself on a daily basis. I have to earn my space there every minute of every day but actually what I needed to do was back myself in that when I do sit down and do the work I will 100% focus on it and I'll endeavor to make it as good as I can therefore I deserve that downtime. One thing that I've learned from experience is you know if you can log off at 6 p.m or half six or seven do because there's days when you're definitely not going to be able to do that so you need to find way to make the most of of the downtime that you do have when 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 the opportunity presents itself you mentioned earlier that you really love your job and that's something that really motivates you I think that comes down to figuring out your why when you're really busy it's really important to keep in mind why you are doing the things you're doing because it can get really overwhelming when you think about things are being done to you but you are the protagonist of your life. You chose to be here and I chose to be here. And I constantly have to remind myself that. So it could be something meta, like you want to make the world a better place. Or it could be something simple, like you just want to pay the bills. You want to keep the lights on in your apartment. Just keep in mind why you're doing the things you're doing. For me, that helps me feel a lot better in my work-life balance so one thing I started doing is and you might laugh at this but I have a folder in my emails at work called you go girl and I started dragging and dropping every single positive thing I've worked on every time I've done a good piece of work I drag it into that folder so when I'm having those bad days because the bad days will come and the bad days don't negate the whole thing. It doesn't mean you're having a terrible life just because you have bad days. But on those bad days, I will go into my You Go Girl folder and I'll be like, okay, I am good at my job. I did enjoy this deal and I did enjoy this case and I am happy to be here. And it just reminds me of my why. This is just a practical thing I do just to keep my mind focused on why. What is this all for? It's a great idea. I might have to adopt that one myself. Definitely create yourself a you go girl folder. I would <laughs> encourage everyone listening, make yourself a you go whatever folder. What I do actually, like with passwords, I'll make them inspirational. When I, so when I log on every day, it'll be like some kind of like similar to you go girl, but not you go girl. <laughs> It's just a little reminder to yourself that you 
you know you're valuable and and the why you're here like you you can create positive change and just a little confidence boost I think another thing I do and one thing I'm trying to get better at is not only learning what to say no to but knowing when to ask for help sometimes you can feel like the whole world is on your shoulders and you have to be strong all the time and to be good at your job you have to be unflappable and everything you can do by yourself but instead of trying to do it all I found that I should focus on what I'm best at and what I add most value on and then I try my best to delegate and outsource as much as possible of everything else so at work, I saved so much time just by getting PAs and paralegals to help with things and just asking for help and then prioritizing the things that I'm good at has been a really key way that I've cut out so many hours of my day in doing things that I could have got help with. Knowing what you can delegate is important. So yeah, as you say, you can then focus on the sort of more meaty stuff, the important stuff. And I think even like not asking for help just from PAs and paralegals, but, um, you know, from more senior people, like say if you've been asked to do a task, but you're not quite sure how to do it, you could spend 10 hours trying to figure out how to do it when a task in actuality would probably only take an hour and a half. And I think from my experience, the majority of people that I've worked with would rather I just ask for help or ask to clarify and you know say it was me time it means that they get the work product quicker it's probably a better work product so I think asking for help and communication is is central to development and well-being yeah I'd completely agree with that but it's so clear from our conversation so far that the idea of work-life balance and the idea of having it all is still very much an aspirational goal. And perhaps we really need to think about what we mean when we say work-life balance. Even in all of that, it's so important to use our best efforts to focus more on the life aspect of work-life balance, no matter how you choose to define it. Going forward, it's also important that organisations will focus all their efforts to improve things on an institutional level. And like Mary said, there are days where you'll have to have those long hours and there are sacrifices that need to be made sometimes. But in doing so, it's still important to focus on that work-life balance. So thank you so much for joining me today, Mary. It was great to have a chat and hear about your insights. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. I'm glad. But for all my listeners, don't forget to moisturise your elbows.